Rabbi Steve Weil is with us. He is the uh, manage, senior managing director at the OU, and he is part again of um, one of the most amazing. Uh, if a Tishabov presentation can be amazing, the OU has uh, figured out a way to make it amazing. You know, it's funny, and I was just uh, alluding to this with Rabbi Weil a moment ago off the air. Uh, the OU is certainly synonymous with the uh, kashrus, obviously. We know that kosher food is uh, synonymous with the Orthodox Union. Um, in many ways, with political advocacy as well, the OU, one of the sponsors of the rally coming up on Wednesday to stop Iran Now rally. Whoever thought the OU would become synonymous with Tisha B'Av? Rabbi Stephen Weil, welcome back to JM and the AM. What an honor to be here. <laughs> I mean, Kashros, that's a really cool thing. And political advocacy, what's wrong with that? But now the OU is synonymous with Tisha B'Av Day? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, you know what? God willing, we make it a meaningful and the most powerful day of the year. No question that's about it. That's our goal. Well, I've heard it and I've um, tuned in. And the presentations are simply unbelievable. And the Orthodox Union is uh, is going for it again. The OU Tisha B'Av 2015 webcast, which obviously is Sunday, July 26th, the week from this coming Sunday, is called Holiness and Heroism in Times of Horror. Both Rabbi Weinrib and Rabbi Weil will present. This has uh, become really a uh, a web tradition on Tisha B'Av. You can go to ou.org slash Tisha B'Av, uh, not only for the information, but actually for the uh, live feed. And this goes on for hours and hours. I mean, not only are you, and you're the presenter, so you may have an advantage in terms of the stamina to sit there for hours and hours, but you have a crowd that is with you the entire time listening to your words, in addition to everybody who's tuned in on the web. Yeah, we get probably about five, 600 people down in South Florida. There are a few shuls that join in on that. Uh, Delray Beach, Young Israel of Deerfield Beach, they come over to BRS. And as well, we get about 4,000 viewers on the web, on OU.org. I'll tell you, this year, I've been exposed to an amazing woman, uh, Rebetzin Esther Farbstein. Yeah. So she teaches at Michalala. Her mm-hmm. husband is the Rosh Yeshiva of Hebron. Right. She's an orthodox, a fantastic historian, a Holocaust historian. And what she has done is just provided material that unfortunately has not, we've not been exposed to as, as a world, and we should have been exposed to. So a lot of her material I'm going to be incorporating into the explanation of the kinos. It's funny because uh, both you and Rabbi Weinrib each year introduce material that that many of us who have been to many, many a Tisha B'Av service, including in summer camp where we, where we tend to delve into things for many hours, you hit us with material that none of us are familiar with. Now you're saying there'll be additional material like that for this year? Matt, and, and I had the great honor this year of, I, I don't want to call it an honor, as the sad honor of being in Lithuania, Hungary, Poland. So on that trip, also picked up new material. Unbelievable. Rabbi Stephen Weil is here. The Tisha B'Av program will be, of course, on the OU website. Why? Would five or six hundred people on a difficult day, you have to admit, Tisha B'Av is not an easy day physically and in many other ways. Why would it, why would Tisha B'Av become a hit the way it has, the way the OU presents it? I'll tell you, we all owe gratitude in, in, I, in this is, I think, anyone who teaches Kinos and learns Kinos. Rabbi Soloveitchik turned the Kinos into an open book. You know, we have on the OU Press the Rabbi right. Soloveitchik Kinos with a commentary. But those 12 years, I listened to the recordings from Boston 
Abe Lovovitz recorded that, when literally people from all over America would come to the Maimonides Yeshiva in Brookline. And and the Rav, the way that he did with, for instance, the the Musaf on Rosh Hashanah with the Piyutim on Yom Kippur, he took it and he opened it up. And it made it so powerful. So the day, instead of it being a a day that you dread, becomes a day that really opens your mind, your heart, creates a bond with the Almighty. It changes you Jewishly. Not to be too dramatic, but one could say that the Rav, in fact, was the father of the modern-day approach to Kinnis, I guess we could say, right? The way people spend their Tisha B'Av now. Kinnis used to be a... A painstaking, in many cases, I hate to say it, boring procedure for many people for a long, long time. And this is sort of a revolution. And if someone would have told you that you'd be, a, that, that one of the, your highest profile days of the year would be, would be Tishabov. That would have been hard to believe. You know what I mean? Oh, man. I would have thought, what kind of psychologist do I need? <laughs> exactly. But, but you know what it is? The, the Ibn Ezra has an interesting comment at the beginning of the fifth parak of Eicha. He's very critical of the Kalir. He says, you write material that people can't understand. Right. So even in medieval times, they couldn't understand. Right. But you want to know something? Once you open up the Kalir, you see why Rabbi, Rabbi Elazar HaKalir, he's the father. He literally holds us by the hand, and he takes us through Jewish philosophy. He takes us through the, the emotions and the thoughts that we should be having throughout the day of Tisha B'Av. It, it, the Rav shows you the depth and the power of, and the greatness of the Kalir. Right. Is it, um, and again, I mean, you, you look, you just explained it, and the, the Rav did what nobody had done before, explanations, going into things in depth, making it easier for a regular person, so to speak, to get into it. But is there any other element? Is there another element where it was... Where was um, it, where, where only the Rav could have done this? There have been a lot of wonderful and incredible rabbinic leaders in our previous generations, but what was the element that that gave him the opportunity to present this in a way that the regular balabas out there finally started to appreciate what the kinnis are all about? I think he saw what you articulated so well, Nachum. He saw that people were getting nothing out of the day, and he felt that he had a responsibility mm. to his community in Brookline. And ultimately, it caught on, and, and literally, people came from all over America. Right, and while one could not say the same thing about the Yom Noraim, to a degree, the high holidays again were 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 difficult for many people. And as you said earlier, with his Rosh Hashanah and Kippur Machzor, sort of did the same thing, brought people in and said, you know, realize what this day is all about. I'm going to help you get through it, so to speak. So, yeah. a lot of ways, that's a uh, uh, that's the same. Now, you said that you will be in Florida. That Sunday for Tisha B'Av, where will Rabbi Weinrib be? Rabbi Weinrib will be broadcasting out of the OU Center from right. Yerushalayim. In other words, oh, he'll, he'll be in Jerusalem. He'll be in Jerusalem, so it's really 2 a.m. our time, right. you know, because they're right. seven years, seven hours right, ahead. Right. Uh, w- one thing that's fascinating about the Kinos as well, I mean, I- I've had the great honor of working with Rabbi Ephraim Kanafogel mm. and Rabbi Jeffrey Wolf, um, both great medieval yeah. Jewish historians. Both amazing. On the Kinos vis-a-vis the Crusades, the Kinos vis-a-vis the burning of the Talmud in 1242 in Paris, written by the Maram of Rottenburg. Just the, the history leading up to that and the consequences and the reverberations of what that did to the whole Masora and what it did to Yadus Ashkenaz. So we'll be going into that as well. Mm-hmm. I had the, the great honor of this year of, of speaking to Talmidim of the Baba Varebi. We're going to be dealing with his Kinah on the Holocaust. And over the last week, 
there's a great, great Rav. His name was Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Meisels. Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Meisels, anyone who's heard that name, he, he escaped. He was the Weitz in the Rav, Vats in, in Hungary. The famous questions that came up in Auschwitz in 1944 about the father who had money to save his son from being sent to the gas chambers, but it would mean another child. Those terrible, terrible Shilas. So I've, I've had a chance to interview his daughter, his son, who's a Rav in, in Seagate, who was with him in Auschwitz. Mm. His son today is, is, is a Rav in Seagate. He was a 15-year-old boy at the time of the liberation. And in the impact of the Weizner Rav in the, his Sefer Mekadshe Hashem, as well as the impact of this Rav Tzvi Hirsch Meisels, the Weizner Rav, in Bergen-Belsen. He has a whole sefer, Takanas Agunos, where what did he do? He was mechazek the survivors after the liberation, and he spent those first couple of years doing anything he could within the realm of halacha to be matir, these women, to start their life again. Wow. So he's got this sefer, Takanas Agunos, and then when he got to Chicago in the 50s, he wrote a sefer called Mikadshe Hashem. I just ask of anyone, I beg of you, read the introduction to that, and if you're not great at Hebrew, get Esther Farbstein's book. It's called The for, for Forgotten Memoirs. The Forgotten Memoirs are the memoirs of 10 or 11 rabbinim. Very few rabbis survived the Shoah. Right. They always took the rabbi out and, and killed him first. But they would write their story, the story of their family, their community. Read in Forgotten Memoirs the introduction to Mekadshe Hashem. Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Meisels talks about what happened in Hungary, what happened in Auschwitz. That in itself is the greatest work of Amuna, the greatest work of of Musser, much of that will be incorporating uh, on Tisha B'Av into the Kinos. Rabbi Stephen Weil is here. OU.org will present uh, Kinos with both Rabbi Weil and Rabbi Weinrib. By the way, a completely unfair question, but uh, if one were to ask the different styles that Rabbi Weil and Rabbi Weinrib bring to the table, is there anything obvious or, or not? Yeah, I, I would say that I spend much more time explaining and developing the kinos, bringing in all of Jewish history into the words of the kinos. Rabbi Weinrib spends much more time, he'll take a theme each and every year, he'll use kinos, it's not that he doesn't do kinos, but I think he spends much more time on the theme. It was Rabbi Weinrib who edited the Rav's kinos, correct, if I'm not mistaken? Well, actually, Simon Posner, Rabbi Weinrib did this amazing job of translating the kinos. Right. And Simon Posner put together the the 12 years of the Rav in Boston Ah. into a commentary. So it was his translation that we know so well, yes. uh, meaning Rabbi Weinrib. And I asked him when he was here to uh, alert the community that that, that Kinnis book was available. Uh, this goes back a couple of years. I said to him, it must be it must, must be disappointing to a degree that so much of your year, as we're, as we're celebrating Purim, you're thinking Kinnis. You know, as we're, as we're lighting Hanukkah candles, you're, you're going into your office at night and, and, you know, and pouring over two, three pages of Kinnis. You know, it must be very difficult to be in a state of mourning all year round. Now, you mentioned that you uh, have gone ahead and obviously over the last few months you've researched things and added things to your kinnis repertoire. What is it like, you know, Shavuot's time having to think of the kinnis? <laughs> but you know, Nachum, what's amazing? The Jewish philosophy, the Hashkafa Solem, of, of our whole way of looking at the world and as well as the study of, of crucial Jewish history. So, like, for instance, when you learn, say, for Malachim or Divrei Hayamim, when you're learning Yirmiyahu, or when you're doing something that's not related to the Churban, because of the work that you do, the, the, the Jewish philosophy translates and manifests itself the rest of the year. Mm. So, it's, in other words, it's not just depression. Right. It's actually, it opens up vistas. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's good. Then we know you're the right man for the job. What can I tell you? Will today's political atmosphere, we know what's going on now, Washington, Tehran, Jerusalem, etc. This is going to be a big topic for this summer of 2015. Is any of that going to sneak into your presentation this year? Malay Vagadish, it's going to be throughout. Really? In other words, what we're looking at, th- this is a repeat of 1938. Look, we, you know, when, when Winston Churchill, who was, who was cursed, the dirtiest thing you could call a Brit was a warmonger, and that's what they called him, and they turned him into a pariah. When he turned to Neville Chamberlain and said, he says, you could have chosen war or dishonor. You chose dishonor, and you will have war. We are looking at that. I, I, I pray to God the Almighty intervenes. But without the Almighty's intervention, we are looking at, at, at a catastrophe. The difference was Hitler didn't have nuclear capability. Right. And, and this works its way into a Kinnis presentation simply because you're, you're speaking about many episodes in Jewish history that have led to disaster, and now we're at sort of the introductory part to, God forbid, the p- capability, the possibility of another disaster, God forbid? How many times do we read in the Kinos that the Jewish people were asleep? You know, we were literally w- walking through it days and, and, and not sensitive to our issues and not hearing the wake-up calls from the Almighty. When Providence right. was knocking, giving us that opportunity. Right. And I just pray to God that we wake up. That yeah. we change, we go through a transformation. And I'm not just speaking politically. Yeah. I'm talking about theologically. I'm talking about Jews working together. You and I know that this deal, the one that you know was agreed upon this week, could have been agreed upon earlier this year. It could have been January. It could have been April, around Pesach time. Yet it happens during the three weeks. A lot of people have made a very big deal about this. I I am never sure. I've seen a lot over the years in terms of you know what's happened in the Jewish world and the timing, etc. What are your thoughts that now we're in the three weeks and finally this thing seems to be a solid uh, deal? Oh yeah. The, by the way, there's no poker player like the Persians. They are mm. the, the most. You talk to the Persian Jews or the Persian Muslims who fled after the downfall of the Shah. No one can negotiate like a Persian. And what they've done is the longer they've they've drayed this out, the better it's been for them. Ultimately, this date in history, which, as you mentioned so well, is is part of the three weeks. This, I pray to God, it's not the case, but this may go down as one of the darkest days in history. And sure enough, we know about the timing and the time of year that it is. Rabbi Steve Wallace here. He's Senior Managing Director at the OU. Uh, Sunday, the 26th of July, or more accurately for us on Tishabov, you'll be able to enjoy quote-unquote, his presentation uh, from Florida as he will be at the Boca Raton Synagogue. And hundreds of people will be there. Thousands will be online, OU.org. Nobody needs to register in advance, right? It'll just be there for people to actually log on and participate. Um, is there one kinna that you could share with us today? Is there one that... But, and by the way, there are certain synagogues. There are certain groups that gather Tisha B'Av and and handpick a group of kinnas to be recited. And don't go for the entire group of, I don't know, what is it, 60, 70? I don't know how many Kinnis there are in the entire, in the entire, uh, uh, Kinnis book. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, uh, approach or not. Every rabbi can make a decision for their own congregation. Uh, but they do that specifically because they'd rather concentrate on five, ten, whatever the number is of Kinnis and do it well than worry about people who will not be able to just sit for three, four hours and recite everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I've got to tell you, I usually pick each and every year. I plan on doing about 20, 22. We never make it past 14 or 15. In the five hours, maybe we cover 15 keynotes. Oh, so that's your approach to begin with. Yeah. Uh, is there one you could share with us? Is there one that, uh, you know, we know there's some famous kinnis out there and we, and we could name them and there's certain quote unquote highlights to the kinnis service, but maybe there's a more obscure one or one that people aren't always thinking of when they think of the most famous of kinnis that you could share with us today? There's a medieval kinna. We, the Ashkenazim, have a tradition. The Sephardim have their own kinna about right. the same idea. This is based on a Gemara and a Medrash and it's something that you would never expect to see in the kinnos. It's the story of the daughter and the son of Rabbi Yishmael Kohen Gadol. They weren't killed. They weren't tortured. They were sold as slaves. Right. And it describes ultimately, you know, that the, that they died of depression. And the question is, of all the terrible calamities and tragedies, why does the Gemara, the Medrash, the Ashkenaz, and the Svardim, why is it so crucial that this is, this is, you know, something that has to be, you know, front and center? It's the twenty-third kina, and I think it speaks to us so well, our generation. Because it's not just about the six million Kedoshim. What about those who, who were not killed, who survived but never survived? You know, the, the claims conference says right. that 70 years after the liberation of Auschwitz five years ago, they had a study. One third of all survivors were living under the poverty level. Right. Not in the former Soviet Union, in America, in right. Australia, in Canada. And certainly Israel. Yeah, in Israel. You know the story that we don't tell? It's it's the the living ghosts. Mm-hmm. We have to wake up every morning and have. To, they've never left 1945. We have to have gratitude to them, and we have to acknowledge them. Not just the kedoshim who are most nefesh in that one moment, but what about the people who are most nefesh each and every day for 10, 40, 60 years who lead these terrible lives? And, and by the way, it extends to their children. Right. What does it mean to be the child of a survivor? You know where. Where you go to bed with the stories of how your your loved ones are butchered, those pa- these family members you've never known, who you know you live with the guilt because you have six names. You know, if if your parent could have, they would have given you sixty names. Right. What about the child of survivors? You know, who they grow up and they're raised. Every other kid, when they fall off the bicycle and scrape their knees, what happens? They come back to mommy. She kisses it. You know, makes the boo boo go away. Gives them an ice cream. <laughs> and this kid was raised. When they came back crying, the parents said, "You think you have?" <laughs> you think you have problems? Let me tell you about Cyrus. And they were raised that way. I mean, and it's not just the survivors. Right. What about the, the widows and the orphans of the people who, who their sons never came home, their husbands never came home from a battle in the Gaza, from a battle in southern Lebanon? These ultimately, we have, you know, the, 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 the walking ghosts, the, yeah. the, the ones who walk with that scar tissue. And they walk amongst us, and as I was reminded many times as a kid, it is not our role to judge them. It is our role to assist them in any way possible and uh, leave the judgment to the one above. Oh, you're so right. And that's the point of this, Kina. We've got to appreciate and have gratitude for how they've suffered and sacrificed, and God forbid not to sit in judgment. By the way, you raise, uh, you just alluded to something I'd love to emphasize again to this audience. I've said it before. Uh, we have met people, um, good friends of ours, who uh, at one point, I don't know how the conversation uh, started, but at one point revealed that they, meaning meaning the their siblings and their family, were the only kids in school in Brooklyn that had grandparents. In fact, they said it was such an aberration that the other kids in the class did not realize that parents could have parents. And 
For those of us, thank God, who are in the midst of this unique generation, where often you go to family simchas and there are four generations, four healthy, solid generations at one simcha, that's a good thing to appreciate as we get to this time of year. Yes, so. absolutely. You know, one thing that's not associated with the OU Tishabov, if I yeah. could just mention, sure. I had a chance, and I, I want to acknowledge Ruth Lichtenstein sure. of Hamodia. She's a superstar. And she it, was here last week. Yeah. She was here last yeah. week. An advance of the event. And my friend Davi Gross of, yeah. of Passaic, of Clifton, who, who was involved in this, they put together a film on Polish Jewry. I know that Rabbi Baum at Ketcher Torah, they're going to be showing at 6 p.m. on Tisha B'Av. It's an extremely powerful film on Polish Jewry. Not only is it powerful from a historical point of view, it's got the story of Rabbi Lau, but but from an emotional, from an Amuna point of view, very, very, very significant. I mean, you know, those who can prepare for Tisha B'Av, we're in the three weeks, we're about to start the nine days. Read anything you can get your hands on from Esther Farbstein. You know, please, the forgotten memoirs. See a film like this. That debuted, the film you you just mentioned, debuted this past Tuesday night. Uh, you mentioned uh, Teaneck on Tishabov. It'll be shown. It will also be shown. I'm glad you brought this up. And Mrs. Lichtenstein's going to be very proud of you for bringing it up. Uh, it'll be shown Monday in Brooklyn, a women's program at a Terrace Gold on 50th Street. The first showing at 5.30, the second at 8 p.m. In fact, Mrs. Ruth Lichtenstein, director of Project Witness, will be there with remarks at that program. There'll be a men's program at Lipschitz Hall on 14th Avenue that evening as well. In the Catskills on Wednesday, July 22nd at the Monticello High School, a teen program at 3 p.m. and a women's program at 7.30. And again, Mrs. Lichtenstein will be there to address the crowd. Call 718-WITNESS for information. Rabbi Stephen Wilde is here. Rabbi Stephen Weil, W-E-I-L, is here, Senior Managing Director of the OU. The uh, the date is uh, the 26th of July, but more significantly for us, it's the 10th of Av. This year, that's when Tisha B'Av is observed. On that Sunday, the Orthodox Union Tisha B'Av webcast will feature OU Executive Vice President Emeritus Rabbi Tzvirish Weinrib and Rabbi Stephen Weil, and you get an opportunity to hear them both if you go to ou.org slash Tisha B'Av, ou.org slash Tisha B'Av. I would assume that your department that deals with political advocacy is stepping things up because a lot of very prominent organizations are going to be spending time speaking to members of the House of Representatives and members of the United States Senate in light of this battle yeah. that's going to be waged now in Washington. I've got actually Senator Patty Murray's coming to our house Sunday. She's one of the Democrats that could go either way. You know, when we're looking for at least 67 to override the presidential veto. On the this. pressure from the President of the United States is going to be immense. Uh, any member of the Democratic Party who, who in fact does go in the other direction is going to be no doubt criticized by the Obama administration <laughs> and it will not be appreciated much by the Obama administration. Look at what the administration did to our own Senator Menendez. Right. I mean, you know, I, I think that speaks volumes. No question about it. So that's one thing. And then the, uh, I assume that the world of Kashrus continues to, uh, stand on solid ground at the OU. Yeah, uh, and I'm, anything new we should know about. Oh, I tell you, <laughs> I, if I could leave the world of Kasha for a second. As the nine days begin tonight, anything daring we should know about. <laughs> oh, that's yes, go ahead. <laughs> we are very proud. When I came on board five years ago, we sent two buses to um, of, of kids with no background. Right. Most of these kids have not had a barabat mitzvah, can't, literally can't identify the letters of the alphabet. This summer, we've, we've got 12 buses of TJJ, the Jerusalem Journey, in Israel. One of those buses, we call TJJ Poland, we had the chance to prepare, and, and they've spent eight days in Poland, now they're in Israel. And uh, 
you know, there was an article that was very well written in the JTA by Professor Stephen Cohn that the best way to prepare these kids for university, for life, to, to combat the BDS that they're going to encounter on the campus is ultimately that education we give them in the public schools, at the Starbucks, over the summer, at right. the Shabbatonim. So this TJJ, it, it literally, the reason it's so powerful is of the 500 kids that go, each and every one of them becomes a leader, brings their friends, their family into the world of, of Jewish history, of the Masorah, and of the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. Do their colleagues, because these are what we would call, excuse the expression, public school kids, right? I mean, unaffiliated this, public school uh, kids. Unaffiliated yeah. public school kids. I don't mean to say that in a derogatory mm-hmm. manner, just that's how we would refer to them. And do they get a lot of pushback at home? And I don't mean at home from parents. I mean at home from their classmates and colleagues when, when their classmates and colleagues are spending their summer very differently than they are? You know, it's amazing. Most most American Jews, unaffiliated American Jews, are progressive or liberal politically. Right. I'm not saying that's bad. It, right. it is what fact. it is. Right. It's a fact. What happens? You know, when people start with this nonsense about an apartheid nation and right. about the wall, they can say, hey, I was there. It's a fence. The only place they put up walls by the 443 when they were shooting at Israeli motorists going to work. Right. They can say, I was there. I, I saw the facts. You can't tell these lies to me. It's incredible because these are kids who, you know, Israel was a third world nation. Then they go there. They, they, they get turned on. They, they're on fire. They come back. But what would make... Five, six, I mean, what is, what's 12 buses? What is that? How many? 500 is kids, five, 43 kids a bus. What would make 500 kids do that? I'll tell you what it is. Because if you would, if you'd address the question I asked you, they must be under tremendous pressure by their friends not to go to Israel for the summer. We, you, you know what it is? <laughs> well, first of all, we, I mean, it costs me a fortune in terms, and I have to thank our funding partners. Right. We heavily subsidize it. So that's first of all. It's, it's, it's a great price, number one. I know the yeshiva parents say, why can't you do that for our kids? <laughs> but, but the reality is we're going to lose these. If, if we don't right. bring them to Israel, we will lose them. But you know what it is? It's week after week with these great people, the young women, young men in their 20s, yeah, the who are most fish in the clubs. Right. They go have a public school club every week. Yeah, the truth is, is when they go to the clubs, week. their colleagues are also probably telling them they're nuts for doing that. So they're already used to that whole, you know. But, you know, they get exposed over time, right. you know, from the staff. The staff is amazing. We have these young men and young women who really care about them. So, you know, week after week in their public school, week after week, get a latte and learning. Why are we doing it at Starbucks? Right. They're not even under the OU. Why right. are we doing it at Starbucks? Because right. these kids, psychologically, they're not going to a JCC. Right. They're not going into a shul. You know, we, nothing, right. when you and I grew up, the largest youth group was BBYO. Why? Because right. no self-respecting Jewish kid would be caught dead in a, in a temple or a synagogue. Right. They went to the JCC. Right. Today, we're the largest. The OU, the JSU network of the OU is the largest youth group. Why? Because they're not going to the JCC, but you can get them in the public School. What do you hear from the other NCSY summer programs? We have a uh, an inside connection to Give. We hear it's doing remarkably well. They spent the day in Jerusalem today. Uh, we have an inside connection to Built. We hear that that program continues to flourish. What do you hear in general about the NCSY summer programs? Oh, thank God. We've got an amazing staff. You know, Yacha just left. They just, All right. uh, my daughter happens to be, she was not only at one time was an attendee, but she's an advisor on That's that. That's the Yad Biyad trip. Yad Biyad. W- what it is, is we, we, we literally pick La Creme de la Creme to be the staff of these summer programs. Some of them are great. And they care about the kids, not just on the program, after the program. And thank God, Nachum, thank God we don't have a war this summer. That's for sure. So, remember last year, oh, they, yes. they were up north, but that was, as, you know, that was the only part they could yeah. be. 
thank God the summer has started relatively normally, except diplomatically and politically, but the facts on the ground still still seem to be pretty stable. Um, So there you have it, the uh, incredible work of the the OU, and a big shout-out to those who are responsible for the NCSY summer program. Uh, Yom NCSY is coming up right after Tisha B'Av. You're going to gather with all... The different groups from all over Israel in one place. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to miss it. You can't make it from Boca Raton to Yom NCSY in time. Unless that's somebody, how quickly it is with that Tuesday? It's, wow. Yeah, unless somebody wants to take me on their private plane, <laughs> I think we're going to miss it this year. So there you have it. Maybe, but, you know, we're hoping to have the leadership of the government of Israel there. It's, it's incredible because you've got Jewish kids from from... No background, right. and from a very substantive background, the NCSY Kolel. These kids are coming from yeshivas from all over, all over the, the North America, and they're all spending the day together. That day together, they're going to grow together. <laughs> they're going to bond together. What a what an experience! Pretty amazing. Um, everybody, make sure I will remind you. Believe me, uh, to tune in to OU dot org, the uh, OU org slash Tishabov site. That's where both Rabbi Weinrib and Rabbi Weil will be presenting a kinnis. In uh, in-depth fashion and really in informative fashion, uh, the reason that hundreds are there on the spot and thousands tune in from around the world is because they really do open up the Kinnis, a very, very difficult service uh, for so many people. Uh, they open it up and uh, allow everybody to uh, finally understand and appreciate what it is that we're saying on Tisha B'Av. May this be the final time. Rabbi Weil, as oh, much as, as much as you love the gig, <laughs> may this be the final time that you have to lead a kindness service right. internationally. <laughs> From a theological point of view, I'd much rather teach for five hours Shavuos night or teach, you know, Hoshana Rabbah, teach Koheles, something to that effect. There you go. That's you right. see, this, we, may this be the last we, time. We will supplement things for you <laughs> if, in fact, we eliminate the Tisha B'Av service, please God. Uh, and an easy fast and a great summer, and thank you so much for being here today. I want to thank you. I, I've got to tell you, you're the one who brings the Jewish people together. Thank you very much. By being thoughtful, sensitive, not only to the OU, but to all Jews. And all I can say is on behalf of my family, our communities, we love listening to you, not only because of the music, but because of your sensitivity, your leadership, and ultimately, you, you, you force us to think, you force us to grow as Jews. Thank and you. we couldn't ask for anything better. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Rabbi Stephen Weil, Thursday morning, this is JM in the AM.